0: Mommy Track Daddy Whispers podcast is now called Birth Agni podcast. Hello, you're listening to episode 13 of Mommy Track Daddy Whispers podcast. I'm your host Divya and today we are with Prachi. She's a clinical psychologist and a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience. And today we have gathered together for discussing certain problems, certain physical factors that affect mental health, apart from the situations and emotional imbalances that we often attach as a cause to it. Prachi, welcome to Mommy Track Daddy Whispers podcast again. And those of you who've heard our episode on mothers and mental health, they know that we gather for odd number of episodes. (laughs) Prachi, I'm so
1: thrilled to have you here. How are you? Thank you so much, Divya. It's amazing to be here again. And I really enjoyed our last episode. And like you said, it was number 11 and now we're here for number 13. Uh, Let's hope this is lucky number 13. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Prachi, I read a post
0: from you on Instagram where you shared a chat from a client. And um, therein you explained how uh, seasonal changes or physical factors, they affect mental health as against, you know, like I said, emotional imbalances, the situations, the life situations, something somebody said or we said something. We usually attribute all of this to our mental health issues. But that was an eye-opener for me. So would would you like to share something about that Instagram chat? Sure.
1: So um, I have a young client and she suffers from something known as cyclothymia. Cyclothymia is a... It's a milder version of bipolar disorder, but it is more rapid cycling than uh, bipolar disorder. So the mood swings are more rapid. Like with her, it happens every two weeks. So it so happened that we were having a session. We meet weekly for sessions and we were talking and then that day she was okay. But some things she said made me think that she might be getting another depressive episode soon. But I didn't mention it because I kind of did not want to induce it by saying it. So I just kept it to myself. And sure enough, the next day she ended up texting me saying that I think I have a low phase coming on. And this was around, uh, I think, November, early November. So fall season had just, you know, started progressing towards winter. So I told her that, you know, I was thinking that this might happen. And this is probably something to do with the weather. Now, we also have a history here because this client of mine had been uh, in the UK last a couple of years ago, where she had a very, very uh, serious breakdown. And uh, UK, as you know, is extremely cold. And it was around this same time. So we had a few hypotheses in the sense that, you know, we thought sometimes when anniversaries of significant events roll around in our lives, when I say anniversaries, I don't mean... You know, like date anniversaries, but anniversaries of times where something significant might have happened in your life. So, you've, let's say you've had a very bad uh, episode or a very bad meltdown at some point, let's say in some month. So, the next year when that month rolls around, because these memories are all stored in our subconscious, they uh, surface without us realizing, and we get cranky and irritable, and we don't know why it's happening. So since this was around the same time for her also, so we had one hypothesis that probably it's the anniversary of uh, that breakdown and that's what's causing it and a couple of other things. But I did have my suspicions about the weather and I told her that uh, you need to increase your light and warmth because the weather is changing and that can have an impact on you. And... That is what you ended up reading, and that's why we are talking yeah. about it. We'll talk more about this uh, as we go on.
0: Right, that was very intriguing to me because at that point in time, I was feeling uh, low for a couple of days, just generally, um, and did not know why that really had happened. So by the day comes to an end, by the evening time, I was like stressed you know, irritated by little things, did not know why that was happening, because there was no reason that I could actually attach this thing to So when I read all of that, I said, okay, lights on, (laughs) lots of light, (laughs) you know, windows open and everything. And that did work. Yeah. So before we go on to our second question, I would like to ask you to elaborate on the condition of this, you know, bipolar problem, because many
1: of us might not know what exactly that is. Hmm, I'm glad you asked that. I'll tell you about bipolar and I'll tell you a little bit about some related conditions, especially the one that we're talking about here with re- regards to weather. Actually, as you know, in common language, we've become very savvy with mental health terms in terms of, you know, oh my God, I'm so OCD. I like to keep everything neat. Or uh, mood swings is a term that we very commonly use amongst ourselves that people end up saying, oh, I'm so bipolar but honestly bipolar is a very very serious when I say serious I mean not in severity but I'm saying in terms of gravity in terms of its intensity. Bipolar is a mental illness where as the name says bipolar so two poles so on one end you have uh, if I'm talking technical terms on one hand you have depression and on the other hand you have something called mania. Depression as we are aware it's extreme sadness and low mood and Fatigue, easy irritability, low energy, Mm -hmm. all of that. And on the other hand, mania is a condition which is characterized by extreme energy, extremely happy mood, uh, lack of sleep or rather actually not feeling the need to sleep, uh, feeling that I can do so many tasks suddenly at once, feeling extremely productive spending a lot of money, indulging in a lot of high-risk behaviors, all of that is characterized uh, under mania. Okay. So we have bipolar, uh, primarily this is what bipolar is, but we have gradations in it. So we have bipolar 1, where you have depression and you have mania. Then we have bipolar 2, which is a swinging between depression and something called hypomania. Hypomania is like a lesser... Uh, form of mania where uh, a lot of the negative consequences of mania don't usually happen. In fact, a lot of artists, painters like Van Gogh have produced their best work in hypomanic conditions.
0: So it does have, uh, you know, good results, but it's yes. actually,
1: but it can be dramatic for the person undergoing. Absolutely, it. because when the low hits, suddenly everything just seems meaningless. So uh, what happens with a, you know, if this were a normal situation, you would be productive and you would sustain that. But somebody who's suffering from bipolar disorder would start a project, let's say if they are hypomanic or manic phase, they will start a project with a lot of enthusiasm, get through halfway and suddenly let's say a low hits, then it just never gets finished. So while they may be very talented and very Creative, the creativity just gets hampered because there is such
0: rapid swinging. Uh, and Prachi, um, like you said, so what I understand from what you just said is we should not start using these terms very frequently mm-hmm. whenever we have a normal high and a low. Yeah, light. very lightly actually,
1: without you know understanding the gravity of it.
0: Right, and uh, we should actually know that these things they can be really dark. For certain people and the frequency can be extremely high. Absolutely. It can be difficult for certain people.
1: Let's not dilute the... Exactly. The problem problem. with using these terms lightly is exactly that. That when somebody is suffering from the actual condition, people tend to assume that this is something that you can just snap out of. Right. Like
0: a lot of people have started posting that if you have depression, talk about it. Mm. But a lot of people are not in the position to talk about it because Absolutely. they might not know it. In where fact, they the are. first
1: thing depression does is withdraw you from everyone else. So somebody who's right. suffering from depression is the last person likely to talk about it. Yeah. And now moving on to our second
0: question. So from the first thing that we just discussed about the winter season yeah. affecting our moods and everything. Is this is this a part of the textbooks? Does this mm-hmm. come from some research mm-hmm. or it, it's out of experience? That, uh, you know, more and more of what else can affect us.
1: H- how, how about uh, things go there? Right. No, absolutely. It comes from research. And this is actually something in, in its uh, severe form. This is known in its diagnosable form, actually, I should say. Uh, it is known as seasonal affective disorder. Okay. So okay. when we say affective, affect has something to do with mood, actually. Mo- affect is observable mood okay so if i ask you uh, how are you feeling and you say that oh i'm fine i'm i'm happy but your face tells me that uh, you're sad so your mood reported mood is happy but your affect is is not uh, congruent to what you're reporting okay affect is observable mood So seasonal affective disorder, basically a mood disorder, which is affected by the season changes. It is a very real diagnosis, as you said, and has a lot of uh, symptoms uh, where, again, people swing. So if somebody is already suffering from bipolar, then they would uh, in, in winter season, they are more likely to go to depression and in summer seasons they are more likely to move towards mania or hypomania okay. i am telling you this because i also have suffered from this at uh, some point in my life i remember when i was i think in my late teens hmm. i used to have uh, earlier i had migraine and then i started having these unexplained headaches in the evening times and uh, When this weather would change, I would get very weepy and I would just cry and I would not want to talk to anyone and I would just like just stay in bed, not eat well, all of that would happen. So, uh, none of this got registered, but the headaches, yes, you know, they were bothersome. So, we went uh, and but we went to a neurologist. Okay. And he ended up prescribing uh, antidepressants to me. Uh, And when I read the prescription, I could identify the medication because I was already studying about it. And I asked him that, that, you know, why, uh, why am I being prescribed an antidepressant for a headache?
0: Mm. And then
1: he explained that sometimes our moods need some extra boost to level out. And, uh, you know, it happens uh, sometimes with the light changes and all of that. So in evenings, you're getting it and everything. So that really fascinated me. And uh, I was on that medication for about six months. Uh, it tapered okay. off and uh, I was uh, okay. My, I mean, the headaches went off, but this uh, weather thing stayed. And it's only in the last, I think, five, six years that I managed to finally get a handle on it. And now I'm prepared. So for me right now, this is not in a clinical space. Now it is not in that severity that I can be diagnosed with it. But I still feel it. And because I can monitor it, I'm able to control it. Right. With all the uh, things that you described, right. like increasing more light in the room. Absolutely. So the light thing happens because our bodies, we have all sorts of internal rhythms, internal regulation systems. Okay. okay. So how do we know that we have to go to sleep at night? Because our brain tells us, because it gets dark, right? And right. even if you have to work or if you have to stay awake all night, you mm-hmm. will still feel sleepy when it's dark out. Yeah. Right. So that's your body's internal clock telling you that it's time to go to sleep. So in the right. same way, we have a lot of internal rhythms in terms of okay. eating, when to eat, how much to eat, fullness, uh, signals and all of that. So uh, with when the light outside changes and the temperature changes, these rhythms, we call them circadian rhythms. Okay, these rhythms get affected. And in people who are already who have already got a tendency for depressive or mood disorders, Mm -hmm. uh, this effect is even more because their neurotransmitters are already imbalanced.
0: Okay, okay.
1: So that's how
0: it happens. Okay. And from this, I come to a question I'm intrigued to ask that, especially for people who live in the northern part of the world, Mm -hmm. if I talk about people living near the poles, and especially uh, places like Norway, which has like six months sun and six months dark, would would they also be affected despite the fact that it's a routine uh, phenomena for them?
1: That's a very good question. Very interesting. Something I haven't thought of so far, but... I'm assuming not so much because uh, they are born into that uh, kind of climate. So their body circadian rhythm is already according to that cycle. Okay. So anything that happens out of the ordinary for our normal rhythms, that is what ends up affecting us uh, negatively.
0: Okay. And like you mentioned on the case, uh, on one of the clients mm-hmm. that you had, uh, the first thing that we discussed, when she moved to UK. Mm-hmm she went under a meltdown, probably that could be the reason because she's already inclined to depressive behavior mm. in the winter season and UK is really cold.
1: Yeah, so she had other issues and okay. it just it just kept getting worse and worse as the weather, uh, I mean the weather was a contributing factor, not the only factor but definitely a contributing factor. So she had okay. other tendencies also. So if you have tendencies for depression or bipolar uh, mood swings, then where there is something additional you need to watch out for. Okay. So it may not be the case that it's the
0: only reason that makes yes. you low. It may be a contributing factor to definitely increasing the intensity of where you are in your health. Definitely. And it can be also be a symptom that can help you understand that you have that kind of a tendency. Right. Okay. Okay, so in India, we have different kinds of seasons. We have like autumn, we have monsoons, and then we sometimes we have sudden winters, sometimes we don't really have winters for very long. What I've seen in terms of how do we adapt ourselves to seasons is we change a lot in the way we eat our food. Mm, True. Does that also affect the way we adapt to seasonal changes, even in terms of mental health?
1: Definitely. In fact, it's very interesting that you bring up the food angle, because if you realize or if you kind of, you know, study how our food cultures are divided according to region, every region has a particular kind of food type, which is uh, native to that region. And these, these things are very much Influenced by the weather of that particular region, so you have a lot of rice eaters in South India, and you have a lot of uh, spice which is eaten in Rajasthan. Based on that, because because how the weather of that region was, that's where first of course the crop growth will be affected. That's one. Second, uh, you know how what food will regulate your body temperature in what region. So the colder regions will have foods which are more warmth producing. The hotter mm. regions will have, like, you know, rice has a cooling tendency and south is very hot. So food anyway naturally is distribute. It's it's only now that, you know, we, we can get access to any kind of food anywhere at any season, which is right. also not healthy. But, yeah. you know, we just eat everything. But uh, if you look at the traditional food habits, They are naturally designed in a way to give you optimum benefit according to the region where you live in. And when we talk about weather change, yes, we do in India have a large variety of variations that happen and how we change our food habits definitely impacts that because there's a lot of recent research which has come in, which does clearly establish a link between food and mood. Right. Right. And they say, uh, very commonly, we say whenever we are stressed, we eat. So that's
0: called stress eating. Yes, yeah, that's emotional eating and stress eating. Right. And we, we end up being all the more low. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, because we get trapped in the cycle of guilt and disappointment. In fact, I'm currently working with a dietitian on a program because we get so many people. And I've also experienced this myself that who will try all kinds of diets but will find it so hard to stick to a diet, right? It's so hard. And I've, I've been just studying this phenomena for such a long time and I realized that it's not that you fail the diet, the diet fails you because we are looking at it all wrong. So when we are dieting or trying to eat a certain kind of food, we are doing it more out of fear rather than feel good. Absolutely. We want to reach somewhere very quick. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you can train your brain, then you can stick to any diet that you want to follow. Okay, so that would be a
0: sustainable way to uh, have a good mental health as well as physical health. Okay, so because all of that is connected. Yes.
1: Okay, would be waiting to see that. (laughs) Yes, we're (laughs) launching this in the new year. Okay. We we know that a lot of people are going to be making healthy resolutions in the year. And uh, I'm hoping that, you know, this can help. Yeah, and that stays
0: long, not just in the month of January or a week in January, because we are talking about sustainable health here, not just the weight and the scales. Correct. (laughs) So, Prachi, we just discussed the importance of food when it comes to our mental health, the importance of physical factors like food and um, seasonal changes, sudden weather changes. I wanted to ask. Now we've been talking in terms of adults so far. I wanted to ask: Does all of that affect the way our children behave sometimes? Because when seasons change, they don't really. We don't really allow them to feel any of that. We actually, you know, get them covered with lots of clothes. <laughs>
1: and
0: yeah. Sometimes it's too much. They. Uh, they, they they don't want all of that or probably uh, with the season changes, they might not want to have some kind of a food. So does all these factors also contribute to their moods?
1: Hmm. Yeah, what you just said reminded me of this uh, joke I had read once that how many clothes a child is wearing is a function of how cold the mother is feeling plus one leg. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's what we do. That, that's the base I also, you know, keep. So I'm feeling really cold. Okay, put one more layer on my <laughs> Yeah. So we do that. And well, uh, it is important to a certain extent because children also do not have the capability to look at the big picture and anticipate falling sick. Uh, yeah. So yes, we do have to take care of that. But that said, children's bodies also uh, are pretty adept at self-regulation. While we do need to cover them up in winters and there are a lot of fussy children who will not wear woolens and everything. <laughs> um, no. And things like, you know, if you're sweating, then immediately you will not get exposed to air and all. Yes, we have to protect that. But otherwise, like in a general sense, bodies, children's bodies also are very good at self-regulation. And when I say self-regulation, not just because of the cold and the hot, but also in terms of food. Because of a lot of behavioral ups and downs that food habits turn into power struggles with between parents and kids. But otherwise, if you just uh, naturally let it adapt in the beginning, very, very beginning when children start eating solid food, body knows, your body knows when and how much it wants to eat. But it's just that it becomes such a... Uh, vicious cycle right from the beginning that I don't even want to go there it's very hard to solve (laughs) Uh, but yeah coming back to your question about whether children get affected, yes they also do because like I mentioned the light system or the internal rhythms have to do with how our brains are wired and how uh, our internal regulation system is, so uh we have seen that the body is not going to be able to get you in that alert state. You have seen that it is a day, you have seen that your body is internally. So, in winter months, if sunlight is not coming, and the sun dark, not coming, then the internal clock will read. It is not getting enough light to be able to get you in that uh, alert state. So, you are drowsy all day, you are lethargic all day because your brain is constantly hmm. secreting that. That chemical which is supposed to put you to sleep. And oversleeping and everything. Yes. So then obviously, and you're not, if you're lethargic all day, then you're not productive enough during your daytime. So that makes you irritable. And you don't know if you to do this, <laughs> then do do it? and all of that becomes interrelated. So that's why we recommend that if hair, enough sunlight, agar hai, achhi baat hai, then you should get exposed to it and not stay cold inside. Because naturally also if you look the temperature of the night is less than the temperature of the day. So the body is also reading. In the winter time, if you are you are sitting in the then your body is just reading low temperature. Read right. right. So it's important to go out, get some sunlight. Absolutely. Because if it's reading low temperature, it is assuming that it is night time. Ah, right. Right. So you need to get out and expose it to the sunlight. Very, very important. If there is no sun, sometimes, in the north, mein especially, we So, uh, you know, I always suggest that winter, aane se pehle, arrange for extra lighting, more tube lights, more warm light, you know, yellow light. And today, the halogen wale heaters aate hai, they are my favorites because they have a lot of light as well as warmth. And it kind of simulates wo Fireplace wala effect. So that really works wonders. You feel very warm, cozy. And winter winter, mm-hmm. because you need to kind of keep your internal clock uh, well synced. So well that's synced. Why. Because the window also gets Like, aaj kal by 6 o'clock, it's dark. Hi, it's dark. It's yeah. dark.
0: We inside have our lights on. at Yeah. In the night, we But yeah. Agreed. Exactly. And if I go to this... Uh, this area where I say that uh, you know sometimes I observe people and I have a, a mental image of certain people that I know you know certain people would take a little bit more stress mm. in their in in, in in a particular situation. Say I have a situation, I'm planning something or in anything like that, and I have to you know engage with a couple of people. I know okay, this person would. In that situation, maybe take a little bit more stress than others. So, mm-hmm. is it, we, we, We've been talking about all the factors contributing to uh, our mental health. But does it also come from somewhere, the genetics, the way we are, our own uh, inclination to how we perceive things?
1: Mm.
0: Does, does it also come from there? So certain people are more inclined to stress, mm. if I ask you mm. that way. Certain people are less. Mm. So is there a phenomena that uh, can explain us as to why that is if not why how that is
1: right yeah there is something known as diathesis stress model which is which we study when we study psychopathology this model tells us that we have the capability of inheriting a genetic vulnerability to certain mental health conditions how much vulnerability or what we known as, what is known as genetic loading depends on the disorder and the condition. Some disorders have high genetic loading, some not so much. But yes, you can inherit a genetic vulnerability to certain mental health conditions like depression, uh, like schizophrenia, like bipolar and anxiety also to a certain extent. But what the model tells us is that so this genetic vulnerability is like a dormant switch inside us. So okay, it may or may not get activated. What will activate it is averse life conditions. So where if you are let's say born with a vulnerability but you have had a very secure childhood and a very secure growing environment and you've not really encountered any averse conditions so you may never develop that disorder that's which will stay dormant but if you're born with a vulnerability and you end up growing up in an environment which is also not conducive to a good growth then you are more likely to develop now this can also happen in a way that let's say for example a child is born to a bipolar father okay okay so genetic loading to rahe hi but and that is why it is it is so hard to do these studies because you really can't say whether it is one thing or the other. Now if we, if we don't assume that there is any genetic loading father के साथ बड़़ा the father is unpredictable. you know कभी भी mood भी मूड आ सकता है तो बच्चे की में constantly uncertainty है and the child is growing up seeing his father sometimes very low, sometimes very high. Not knowing what to expect, when to expect. Now, this uh, thing will also result in an emotional reaction in the child. So, the child will also grow up with mood swings because the child will try to adapt to the father's moods. So, if you have a long time, if you have a mood, then your tendency will be to develop bipolar later on.
0: Right. So, it's very difficult to separate this say, in the condition like you mentioned. But sometimes when um, it has come in the genetic loading from somebody who's not living with you probably if you've had a good childhood where your needs were taken care of, where you were allowed to be an individual rather than just being seen as a child with, you know, imbalanced emotions, that way they might never surface. So there's still a hope that children should be dealt with considering the fact that they're more, not emotionally mature they're only exploring their emotions mm-hmm. and that's what they use to talk and express themselves so if, if they're feeling warm they'll rather be cranky and mm-hmm. making life tough for you but they're not doing it intentionally so we have to it, it's, it's it's a very difficult job for a parent to do but th- that's a very um that's a very hopeful thing that you just mentioned and it, it kind of, you know, reinforces my faith in the fact that we need to take care of the emotional health of the children a lot more
1: than we need to teach them A, B, and C. Absolutely, 100%. Because the only thing that the child doesn't have is a wider vocabulary to tell you what they are feeling. But they are feeling the same emotions as you do. It's just that they don't have enough vocabulary for it. And as parents, if you can understand that or accept that, that my child has emotional autonomy, that's very, very important because we assume but he or she can understand his or her own emotions. Maybe they cannot, they don't have enough vocabulary to tell you exactly. But they can. So what's important, like you said, is absolutely to trust that the child knows what he or she is feeling. And then go from there. So instead of trying to project your own emotions or your own thoughts onto the child, approach the child from a place of curiosity. Not from a place of, you know, uh, of authority. Right, and they
0: actually confuse them in the end that they're not able to recognize their own emotions growing up and end up being an adult who's confused exactly. as to why do they feel yeah, insecure or maybe why aren't they able to take care of themselves because they were never given a ground where they could they could themselves go back and find out why they feel what they do because they need help and support there to figure out what why they're feeling what they're feeling but they know what they're feeling.
1: Exactly, that's a beautiful point because we all... Tend to As parents, we don't realize, we tend to deny children's realities. All if a the child time. is saying that, you know, hogai, aisa nahi.
0: Aray, uh, You are
1: denying the child's reality. And if you do that, the child is going to end up doubting his or her own reality and emotions, like you exactly said, that, you know, they grow up into confused adults, not knowing, whether to trust what they are feeling or not to trust. And that just doesn't work well in adult relationships.
0: Yeah, and also, um, I'm I'm going off track, but also in the sense, uh, especially in the cases of uh, sexual behaviors Mm. or uh, what they feel sexually with Mm. certain people, I've seen a lot of the times while growing up, if I raised a concern that I don't feel, I don't like staying with somebody in the same room, probably. Mm. I don't know why I feel that. Yes. But I've expressed that to maybe parents or maybe elders, maybe school teachers, Mm. anybody. And I've always been, um, and this is coming from a personal example. We've always been told, oh, you're growing up, you're in your teenage, Mm. you can build things up in your brain rather than asking where the problem is, what instance actually made you feel that? Can you go back there and figure out? So it's important to, the only thing that I can take from this is that if we, you know, listen to our children as an equal individual on the emotional level, Mm. slightly immature, but still an equal individual, I think we can actually be able to solve a lot of their problems and, give them an ecosystem where they grow up a lot more confident, a lot more secure emotionally. They're secure in all the ways, but probably not emotionally.
1: Yeah, emotionally healthy. And absolutely, you're right that uh, to approach them as equal individuals. So it's a simple uh, example that I give parents sometimes is this, that if you met someone who speaks a different language, an adult who speaks a different language, Right. Right. Uh, Let's say somebody from Russia just comes in and is asking you something. You will put in all your efforts to understand what this person is trying to convey, even if you don't understand the language. Right. You will use gestures, you will use demonstrations, you will use pictures and all of that just to figure out what this person is trying to ask you or tell you. Treat your children exactly like that. Yeah, that's that's
0: a perfect analogy though. So, you know, I'm gonna pin that thought right there <laughs> for all of us to go back to time and again when we're dealing with yeah. our children. And okay, from here I can derive this one statement that I also read in a book that if 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 from all that we discussed all the physical factors affecting our mental health, but at the end of the day, we live our entire lives in our brains. Hmm. Is is that statement accurate or what do you have to say to that?
1: I think it's pretty accurate. Uh, we, the whole, I think majority of the time we are living in our own heads and uh, we encounter this so many times during the day also. The actual event happens or maybe but mm-hmm. the processing event in mind mein, hai, So, you know,
0: event
1: has already come and gone, but you're living inside your head, literally. You're, you're just, you're still there with it long after it has gone. Right. So, in that sense, yes, it's true that we live inside our brains and The human body is a marvelous, miraculous thing, right? (laughs) There's so many, so many complicated, complex procedures going on with every blink of an eye that we can't even imagine. And same with the brain. Everything we do is a result of electrical firing in our brain.
0: Yeah, it's very simple to say that. Yeah. Very complex to comprehend.
1: Imagine, <laughs> I mean, if I if I just lift my finger, imagine the precision of the firing that would have to happen in a particular kind of neuron to exactly make that action happen. Something so simple as lifting a finger or pointing a finger. This right. is like the simplest gesture and so many complicated things we do throughout the day. We do so much skilled work. We are recording a podcast today. This has taken (laughs) such a series of steps to happen. And for each step, there would have have to be a specialized firing in our brain for it to make it happen. Right.
0: And um, if I actually say that in this form, that uh, when it comes to physical factors affecting our mental health, it's still everything in our brain. Mm. It may not just not be an emotional episode, But it's still everything that's happening in the brain, even if the physical factors are creating an imbalance in the emotional, in the way we feel emotionally, it's still somewhere, you know, affecting our brain. Yes. It's
1: creating... Physically, uh, it is affecting it. Biologically, it is affecting it.
0: Yeah. So it's all in the brain. At the end of the day, we are just bodies being worked by the brain. Uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, if you want to like really simplify it, we can say that because... uh, so, actually, it's an interdependent relationship. Okay. Right? So, let's say something something traumatic is happening in my life. I'm going through a particularly traumatic incident. Then, so many things are happening. Because, so when trauma occurs, my brain uh, reacts to threat. Which is a completely different mechanism. And you'll be surprised to know that. And that is why people who have encountered... Serious traumas have so much trouble recovering from them without therapeutic help. And every time they think of it, it's like it's happening right now. Because even now researchers, MRIs have proven that whatever happens in a traumatic incident gets recorded in our brains in the here and now section of the brain. So we have a section where long term memories go. And then we have a section where here and now happens. So traumatic memories go there. They don't go into the long-term memory. So not Um, every incident is traumatic. So if you look back on your life, you might want to think about a bad memory. So you will think about it and you'll be like, yeah, you know, that happened. That was really sad, but you're not really feeling it right now. But if you remember or recall something traumatic, it feels like you're reliving it right now. And that's very, very biologically happening because you're literally reliving it because it's recorded in a different center of your brain.
0: So, when we uh, talk about these illnesses, say mm. cancer, that we do not really know a cause of, and I was listening to uh, the podcast from Dr. Chatterjee, mm-hmm. where he mentioned that certain illnesses, when they surface, mm. there's always a history of a uh, series of problems that have led to it. Mm-hmm. And they're mostly related to anxiety and stress and something that has been, you know, creating imbalances in the in, in our mental health hmm. but we did not really recognize it right then hmm. so when we talk about reliving a trauma hmm. can it actually when when we don't really recognize it when it was just in the brain when it starts surfacing as a part you know as some issue in our body then we actually start looking at it and we don't really know why it happened
1: oh yes oh yes absolutely and that is where psychotherapy comes in because it helps you explore that because so many times, if something has happened, like let's say in early childhood, our brains are very powerful at protecting themselves. So they will just repress it and block it. You right. wouldn't even know. And would you? Uh, there is something known as conversion disorder in psychology, where a psychological symptom is converted into a physical symptom. In fact, a lot of these uh, incidents of possession that you see mm-hmm. in, in rural India, happening ah uh, yes spirit possession and all of that yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of it is conversion unexplained blindness unexplained paralysis which has absolutely no physical correlate all of this can be perpetrated by a psychological repressed memory
0: okay and it's it's not really a possession it's it's just your brain working in not in a normal way or in a way that you would expect it to and then it shows that problem in a physical form
1: absolutely a lot of it I'm not saying well I'm a, a deep believer in paranormal and the supernatural so I'm not saying that 100% of the time but yes a lot of the times it's our brain trying to manifest something which is repressed in a way which is more socially acceptable.
0: Okay. Okay. So I'll give you an
1: example. Like we had this um, case of a girl who came in, uh, who had suddenly gone blind. Little girl, ten year old.
0: Oh my god.
1: And we were all like all tests, everything. Her parents were going crazy because you know nothing. They could not discover anything physically wrong with her. And when she came to our, uh, I was a trainee then. And when she came to our department and then we started exploring this psychoanalytically where, you know, uh, what could have happened. And then so the, the idea is that usually the part of your body from where you have experienced the conflict, psychological conflict, is the one that gets affected. So given the fact that she had gone blind, we started with the hypothesis that she's probably seen something which is extremely conflicting for her. And it turned out, we kept digging, kept digging, and it turned out that it was a joint family and everything, and a lot of people used to live together and all of that, and in a small space. And she had, for the first time, witnessed her parents at night in a sexual relationship.
0: Okay, and she did not express it, and it was, she took it in a very negative way. Yeah,
1: because it's a child, you don't know how they are going to interpret what they are looking at, right? And. Uh, how nobody knows what she would have interpreted, and she saw it, and then the brain it was too much for the mind to process for her child's mind to process. So, the brain converted it into something acceptable that now I'm blind, I can't see anything, I will ne- never see anything conflicting again, something like that. So, it was a protective mechanism yes, for the body, exactly, exactly. So, then when we started exploring this in therapy, and we brought this out, and we obviously had you know uh, went deeper with the child and then she got cured well, once the conflict was faced and you know the whole uh, repressed memory was brought out she her vision recovered
0: and which is why it is so important to talk to our children yes keep exploring what they're not saying out of fear and you know one of the things that we've all gone through apne bachpan we ki hame bahut daraaya jata tha ye if we you know adapt a parenting style where we inculcate fear in the children yes. that they'll be punished for doing something rather than speaking up and facing what they're doing right and wrong mm. and taking a small amount of time to come out of it mm. rather than just cover it with the fear or rather bury it um, let let our children explore themselves and speak out rather True. rather have them fearless Fearless,
1: shameless. (laughs) True, because children, you know, they start registering things right from infancy. We think that children are small and, you know, they don't understand things. They may not process what they have seen or heard, but they feel all the emotions and they start registering things like uh, for things like, uh, you know, personality disorders and all we have, we have traced origins to just a few days old. While the child himself or herself does not have memory of it. When you go and obviously we are looking at the family of origin and all of that. And you go deeper and you will find origins as early as that. You know, the, the, this a lot of people have this fear of abandonment, fear of being lonely. Mm. Uh, a lot of it can be traced to like the first few months where you, you would not even think that the child is registering something. But they are registering everything on an emotional level.
0: And it's leaving
1: long-lasting imprints. But here, I would like to say a word of caution also, that I mm-hmm. I don't want parents to get scared or yeah. <laughs> over-cautious. You know, that's what happens. Because when uh, 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 we awareness of these things, then we become over-cautious. And we start guarding everything that we are saying, or we start assessing everything that we are saying to the child just be authentic but be nurturing be curious and know or always remember that you are raising the child you haven't created him or her while they have come from you you haven't created them they have come with their own persona
0: Yeah, their own personality
1: so rather than trying to Uh, mold them into something that you want them to be a better stance is to just watch your child every day and try to learn who they are you know it's it's a wonderful place to start from let me see you know just just approach like a scientist does you know when they see this new uh, something new specimen in the in the environment it's like that what yeah. does he How does he hai, behave? How does he react? Just approach from a place of curiosity and you'll be set. You will not do anything wrong.
0: Yeah, and it will be a lot more uh,
1: fun. Fun, and... yes, it's fun. <laughs> so much less headache for you, frantically trying to make your child do something. Aray,
0: Uh, Absolutely. And you know, nature unfolding in so many beautiful Beautiful. ways. I agree with that. And on that note, I would uh, ask you to give us uh, certain tips. Now we've talked about the factors, you know, physical factors, we've talked about how everything actually goes down to how our brain perceives it. We've talked about uh, problems in the brain that actually come out in physical form, and how important it is to, you know, Give our children uh, a loving emotional space for them to grow up without getting scared. Mm-hmm. And and now I'd like to ask you if we were to take care of our mental health on a day-to-day basis, mm. to take care of our children's mental health on a day-to-day basis, what would be uh, those important points that you would like to, you know, bring to us to be able to do that on a day-to-day basis? A
1: mm. couple of them we've already discussed, you know, talking about. Coming from a place of curiosity and approaching with an open mind rather than trying Mm -hmm. to project your own emotions. Uh, Some of the other things that can be done is if you can just schedule 15-20 minutes a day to talk with your children. Just talk. Like Mm -hmm. you would catch up with a friend for coffee. In the same way, you know, just talk to your child just for 15 minutes a day. It doesn't have to be about anything specific please don't ask them about homework. Please <laughs> don't ask them about their progress in class because you anyway do it the entire day. Yeah, This time is to be used to listen, really listen, not hear, but listen. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just sit down and like, it could be anything, you know, let's say the child drew something today and you just genuinely, genuinely look at it with open mind and, not from a point of view carry Not mm-hmm. like that, but just sit down and ask the child, "Hey, what did you draw today?" and you know what were you thinking about when you were drawing this?" Or you know, uh, what was the most fun thing you did today?" or what was it, what was something that made you happy today or something that made you sad today and really listen to their responses. It just takes fifteen, 20 minutes, but trust me, it's going to build such a deep bond with your child. Because the whole day you are so busy being a parent hmm. that you forget that you are both two humans also who need to connect.
0: Yes. And you also know that <laughs> <laughs> Exactly.
1: Bilkul, bilkul. So, yes. And children have that sense also. You know, Unko pata hota hai ki like you know my son, if he has to ask something technical, he will just go to his dad and if he wants to talk about something emotional, he'll come to me ah, that kind of a bond gets creative mm-hmm. another tip I really want to and it's it's not that hard to inculcate, and I would really love it if people can start doing that is to build an emotional vocabulary for children okay. In what ways? To give them emotion words every day. Four or five words, you know. Look up, you will get a lot of lists on on the internet where you can just search for emotion words. Mm -hmm. You can get them in pictorial form also. You can get them in word form also. Whatever your child likes. If your child is a visual learner or an auditory learner. And every day, just three or four words just uh, sit down and you know uh, practice with them what it looks like you you never know you yourself might end up getting surprised as to how many emotions there are that you don't even know we just know sad bad mad honestly yeah. speaking yeah.
0: <laughs> angry uh, for
1: one <laughs> Haan, toh, mad that's mad Ah, right, yeah, getting mad at everything. sad, yeah. bad, mad, yei humko pata hai, aap kisi ko bhi lo, adults ko aaj kal lo you know, what is the emotion that you are feeling, yei teen categories mein se kuch hmm. Hmm. that's because humko koi nahi sikhata emotion vocabulary and there are so many emotions there is shame, there is guilt, there is envy and jealousy and love and joy and all of that yeah right, yeah. so just start introducing two to three emotion words and make it a Make it an activity that both of you can do.
0: Mm, so and probably So, the also
1: increases and the child, to, uska to khair jayega. So, isse dusra problem is when the child is trying to tell you something, they have a larger repertoire of words to explain what they are trying to say. So, the communication gets better.
0: That is such a wonderful technique. And I, I have to tell you, I'm hearing this for the first time. <laughs> That's so important. And okay. I'm so glad... That you've you've shared this with us. I will definitely do that. And
1: you can find a lot of good uh, smiley types and pictorial type representations of these emotions. Uh, Another fun thing to add to this is also sign language. So there are simple words in sign language. If you look up uh, Mm -hmm. grumpy and um, irritable and Mm -hmm. uh, mad and uh, angry and all of that. And you can just learn that and practice that also. So sometimes the child doesn't want to speak. They are so upset they don't want to speak. Uh. You huh. can just tell them that why don't you sign it to me and let me understand what's happening with you. That's,
0: That's a it. wonderful yeah. yeah.
1: Maybe seek huh? English, that
0: way. <laughs> okay, so on that note, Prachi, thank you so much for coming on board. It was, as usual, a very informative episode. I really want to take it longer and keep having this discussion <laughs> with you, but then we are bound by time. Of course. And we don't want people falling
1: asleep in the middle of it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely not. I want them to share the episode and share this information with as many people as possible. Yes. And on that note, Prachi, again, thank you. I would love to have you, you know, again on the episode because mm-hmm. I love talking to you. And um, I was to say this, that it's, it's such a strong virtual connect with you, Prachi, because we've not met. Yeah. And uh, like we discussed, we have so many things in common, a common friend, a common mm-hmm. place of birth. And, you know, that ways we have so many things in common so it's such a strong to connect thank,
1: thank you so thank you so much Divya. it's always lovely being here and talking to you and you always ask such thought-provoking questions that you know i also love racking my brain over it and giving you answers for it so i'm really hoping that everybody who's listening to us will also have a good time listening to it and take something away from it which helps them and uh, yes please share as much as you can, because uh, these things that Divya talks about are, are extremely important as a parent. And unfortunately, nobody really coaches parents anywhere. So, this is a great spot to get some information from that. So, yeah, yeah thank you. And I'm learning along, learning from
0: you as our connect becomes stronger. On that note, we'll go to the parenting tip of the episode. I want to talk to you, parents. We are coming to the end of the year. This year had had its own ups and downs, and um, we had a lot of plans for 2021. The way we looked at it was that everything might change in the coming year. But as we prep for, you know, holidays, for Christmas, for, you know, this the season, the season of warmth, let us know that uh, things might not dramatically change in the coming year let us enjoy with our children let us enjoy ourselves with our family making sure that our mental health is still taken care of what i mean to say by that is that you keep the preparations non exhaustive you keep the celebrations cozy with your family enjoy the time but don't you know pressurize yourself and go into an adrenaline rush and do something overboard and then get into a low mood because, again, it's the winter season and, you know, these factors, they do affect us. So I want you to have a cozy, warm, happy ending to the year and a very warm welcome to the new year. And please be realistic and have wonderful expectations from 2021 and realistic one. On that note, lots of love. And thank you, Prachi, for standing the same to you. Thank you, Divya. Same to you.
1: And same to all the listeners.
0: Yep. Okay. Bye-bye. Stay tuned. Keep listening. Keep
1: sharing.